Hey gang, welcome to episode 221 of the No Persinium podcast, the voice of everything immersive. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, coming to you from the No Pro studio, aka the kitchen table here in Los Angeles. This week on the show, producer Bernie Sue is here to talk with us about his latest show, Artificial. Um, this is kind of a, a us going back into back, back, forward, sideways into uh, the interactive video and transmedia realm. Uh, I've been following Bernie Sue's career since the Lizzie Bennett Diaries, which won YouTube its first Emmy. Uh, Artificial just won Twitch its first Emmy. Um, and that show was groundbreaking in the way it used transmedia elements, you know, uh, Tumblr blogs and Twitter accounts for the characters and kind of fed them all back into the text of the show, which was an adaptation of um, Pride and Prejudice. Um, got that one right, right? I, I, get, <laughs> I get my Victorian novels confused. Uh, not my area of expertise. Uh, so uh, following along then and uh, back when I was covering the transmedia beat and then uh, a few months ago, uh, and, and this show, Artificial, was around for two seasons. It's, it's wrapped up now. Uh, but uh, I watched, uh, I saw Artificial pop up, um, and it took the interactive side of what they had done with Lizzie Bennett and put it all through Twitch. And I'm just, and, and it was Twitch's first scripted series. And I'm just fascinated with this idea. Um, in part because, you know, if you look at what they've done with artificial and one of the best things about it is if you check out the, the VODs for artificial, you'll see the chat logs going in real time. You'll see people discovering the show and asking what the hell is going on here. Um, and the show is about, uh, it's, it's a classic tale of like, you know, a, a robot who wants to be, you know, a human. Uh, so you've got people going into the chat being like, is, is that a robot or a person? Cause you know, uh, people, uh, online they'll they'll believe anything um it's it's adorable sometimes in this case adorable other times not so much but here good um anyway um you'll get to see that reaction unfold in real time which is which is rad i'll just say it it's rad um and, and it reminds me so much uh of of you know our our guest last week uh, Kate and Elizabeth, who are doing dead play uh, on uh, Instagram uh, in the messages for like one on one, and this this is just a different kind of interactivity. This you know we're we're all approaching this way of telling stories that are connected, that involve engagement or attachment. Um, we're all trying to figure this out. How do we build a community around a story? How do we tell stories to an existing community? How do we move forward as a species with this, this new found ability and, and how do we create, mm, how do we give space for, for deep bonds between creators and consumers and then switch that relationship into co-creation. And artificial switches it into co-creation because as we're gonna get into, uh, the viewers had choice points uh, and those had consequences for how the whole series played out. 
So this is a, a, a fascinating little glimpse uh, into uh, a different world than ours um, on the regular, uh, but a world that is firmly parallel and a world that intersects with ours a lot of the time because there's a hell of a lot of people who worked on the Lizzie Bennett diaries back in the day who are critical members of our community, not just in the sense of going to see the shows, but, but being part of the creation of them and intersecting with us on a regular basis. Um, you know who I'm talking about if you're listening. Uh, yes, I'm talking to you or about you. Uh, I'm talking to everybody. Ooh, man. Hey, uh, it's been quite a week here at No Pro Headquarters. Uh, we hit an amazing milestone this week. We hit 300 backers on the Patreon yesterday, October 31st. That was our goal. We did this rally. We hit it. Now it's November 1st and we're back down to 294 because of Patreon. Uh, you know, it starts charging people and credit cards get declined. But I'm, I'm, I'm. I'm, I'm trying not to focus on, on the downside of stuff. Indeed, uh, I'm, I'm trying not to put too much emphasis on any one thing these days. So, but there, this, this milestone we get hit, uh, it's, it's a really big one. Uh, psychologically, it just means a lot. And you know what? We'll just, we'll just rally and get back. Um, we'll get back to 300. Uh, so, you know, if you weren't part of the rally, the rally's still going on. Um, uh, we want to make this thing as sustainable as possible. And, and, uh, no question about it. Uh, I need to make it as sustainable as possible because um, we're running our runway here when it comes to uh, the money that got saved from earlier in the year. And um, yeah, that's just that's just the nature of the business. Uh, we did we made um, we made a lot of content. I hate to say the content word, but we made a lot of content last month uh, between podcasts and reviews and features and interviews and all the other stuff and not even counting the picks of the week and everything immersed for this week. There were 49 articles last month and that doesn't count the newswire. Just, just our absolute busiest month yet ever. And honestly, as we go broader, as we find more folks and more places to cover things, it's it, that volume's just going to kick up. You know, about half of that was what we would call spooky season stuff, right? Uh, and the other half was happening in October wasn't spooky. Okay, so there's there's just a lot going on out there. It's not just a seasonal thing at all anymore. Um, and none of this would be possible without our amazing backers. And let me just read this list of all the people who joined in the last week, all right? And I'm going to butcher some names, I apologize. Arnott, DT Burns, Whitney Whitney Lamora, Bree Spider, Matthew Wong, Christopher Mahan, Evan Matthew Cobb, Alex Coulomb, Haley Elmore, Meow Wolf, yes, Meow Wolf, Jen, Nicole Orobona, The Anonymous X, Emily, Stacy H. Hernandez, Amanda Villarreal, Jasmine Friedrich and Tom Lowenthal and increasing their pledge in the past week. And as always, I say like, like don't <laughs> trying to talk people into giving us more, just trying to talk more people into giving us, uh, Eva Anderson, Laura E. Hall, Clifton Fells, John Pedago. And yes, uh, and this is not why he's on the show this week, Bernie Sue. Uh, so our guest this week upped his pledge, um, heard, heard the call and, and, and threw in, um, and, yeah, I mean, look, um, I know how many people listen to this show. I know that a hell of a lot of you are giving already. Um, and so the, 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 the appeal right now 
is just help us get the word out. All right. Uh, I mean, that's what made the difference this week in a massive way. It wasn't us going out and shilling. It was everyone who opened up and shared. We got so much because people shared. Um, when you're in independent media, oh, here we go. When you're in independent media, the, uh, the, the odds are stacked against you. Uh, it's hard to get your word out, world, word out if you're not producing inside a walled garden somewhere and have that institutional support. And look, maybe maybe the era of independent media is fully dead, right? Maybe I'm a zombie and I don't know it. Um, some days it feels that way. But other days, days when you hit 300 backers and you have this rally and you get like over a dozen people in a week, suddenly it doesn't feel like we're done. It doesn't feel like we have to go, you know, make, make best friends with the head of YouTube or, or become, you know, Mark Zuckerberg's valet in order to do this show. It feels like there is a hunger and a need and a desire to have there be independent sources for things that people just don't understand except you you understand. So help us get the word. If there's um, the best things to share on the regular, the best things to share are uh, picks of the week and everything immersive this week. So uh, when those go out, you could share those, give people a little window into our world. Um, and also, Hey, give us feedback. Uh, tell us how we can make those better. Um, because those are kind of our, our leading blades and, and we need help making those easier to digest for everybody, particularly if you're a backer of the show, I want to know about that. All right. Um, that's enough of that for now. The sustaining backers as always are Mark Balthazar, Jan Budman, Paul F, Lonnie Hansen, Ari Hurston, Sam Kinkin, and Samuel Mustry. Okay, here we go. We're going to be talking with Bernie Sue about artificial, the Emmy award winning series that played out on Twitch. Um, and let's roll the tape. So always tell everybody, this is just a conversation. It's, it's loose as heck. Um, and so loose, so loose. Uh, this is literally the most technically proficient we've been because Bernie brought out a movie blanket and now the, the <laughs> microphones are sitting on that. And so we've got that extra little bit. Yes. Do not get complacent audience. <laughs> not usually be this good. Um, Bernie, I've been following your career for, for years mm -hmm. since Lizzie Bennett diaries. Um, before we dive into the current project um, entirely, maybe just tell us the the elevator pitch for what artificial is, because this is this is Twitch's first scripted series that's won an Emmy. Yeah, uh, yeah. So artificial is uh, well, aside from being Twitch's first scripted series, it's a uh, live, and we use the term audience interactive uh, series uh, on Twitch. Twitch is a live streaming platform, so yet thus we are live. Um, and we also are interactive. Uh, we're a sci-fi show. It's about a AI being trying to become human. That's the story. Very classic AI story in, in the sci-fi verse, I would say. But our big difference is that the audience uh, is interacting with the characters and can shift the story uh, massively in many ways. There's two big tracks I want to talk to you about uh, this time out. One is just how this form of interactive storytelling online has evolved since those Lizzie Bennett diary days. Um, and, and Twitch is such an interesting space for a scripted series. Mm -hmm. And, and in, in so many ways it, it feels like 
Twitch's Twitch is like the the box that we, we were waiting for back in the days of the transmedia. Am, am I wrong in thinking that? Um, well, for I think you, you got to separate a little bit the the transmedia and the interactive part of it. Um, I I agree that Twitch is the box we were waiting for in many ways in the interactive space. I do not agree. It is it in the transmedia space. <laughs> so, so what I mean is that, like, because we are now in this e ecosystem with kind of these platforms where everything's a walled garden, you you can't promote Twitch on Facebook, you can't you can't promote Facebook on YouTube, like everything is trying to like basically prevent you from going somewhere else mm. nowadays. This the algorithms are, and and these private companies with these massive audience should do that. It's in their, it's in their kind of in their best interests, right, right, to do that. So I don't blame them. I just don't like it as a storyteller. <laughs> Back when Lizzie Bennett Dyer was running, um, YouTube, I mean, Facebook didn't have a, a, a video component. You couldn't upload videos to YouTube. So they would happily just like feature YouTube videos, our YouTube videos, and they would look really beautiful with their banners and you know, pour it in the, uh, the thumbnails and all that. But today, you post a YouTube video on Facebook, you get no views. Oh yeah. So so that's that's a difference. Um, oh, I, but, have a, I have a problem with like the Patreon for this show. Is oh, like yeah. It's I'm just sure. Like, yeah. I'm yeah. sure. I'm sure. So but going to your question about Twitch uh, being this kind of um, super awesome, amazing place to try this stuff. It is amazing. It's incredibly amazing for interactivity because it has uh, especially when we started the show. It's maybe a little. It's probably a little more caught up with the other platforms now. The other couple of problems have caught up to Twitch, but the, the the technology, aside from just the live, the interactive technology was so good, is so good on Twitch that it has so much potential to even be better. And you can do stuff to it, like you can build your own tool sets and stuff like that. It made this show just really incredibly innovative, biasly opinion. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's fascinating to look at you know, for lack of a better term, like a rerun of the show uh, even and see how the audience was interacting live mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. that chat log is there and it's appearing in real time relative to what was going on when it was first run. So you get this lovely archive of the moment as it happened in full. But you also get to see these moments where the audience, some of the audience, like, you know, super savvy knows what's going on. Other people stumble in. I was like, wait, is, is, is that a girl or a robot? What's, <laughs> what's going on here? Uh, uh, maybe you could, when you were starting off on those, on those, uh, you know, transmedia shows, you know, the audience hadn't really seen anything at all like this. Mm -hmm. And then here you're bringing a scripted series into Twitch and the Twitch audience is like trained for interactivity. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit about telling narrative stories to and, and, and with this audience, because it's got to be such a different beast. With Twitch, yeah. Um, so Twitch is used to, uh, uh, yes, interacting, because you go into, I mean, not everybody who watches Twitch goes into the chat and starts chatting it up. So that's, you know, it's a, uh, a lot of them do, but not everyone does. And then Twitch, of course, is used to live. So the first thing, I, I mean, th there's a barrier, because they're not used to scripted. They're not used to storytelling. They're not used, they're used to watching a streamer just kind of do, whatever it is, play a game, cook food, draw, I mean, all sorts of stuff, okay? And uh, that experience of like, oh, I'm here to experience a narrative and you, I can interact with the narrative. So there was this learning curve that we had to kind of get them through. So um, that was a challenge for us. Uh, and so we did everything we could. Like if you look at a replay, sometimes we have like these overlays that try to just give you all the rules and tell you what to do and say you are able, this is live and you are able to, talk to the characters and ask questions and you know, polls that'll go up that you can switch the story. So they're used to like 
the, ironically the interactive part, but they're not used to the storytelling part. So, <laughs> so we had to kind of give them that. And there were times where people would come in, they would watch the show and they'd be like, surprise, it's live. I could like, watch the show for a few minutes and be like, wait, wait, this is live. And they're like, wait, wait, like I can do stuff to this. Cause it doesn't, it doesn't look like it would be live. Like it's, it's shot so well in, in the interactive sequences. And mm -hmm. then you cut away to, you know, pre-roll, pre-edited pre stuff. Yeah. yeah we cut away yeah. the flashback stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But like. I, I can easily imagine someone going like, oh, this, this, this couldn't be live. This looks too good. And yes. that's the beauty of where the kit is these days. Yes, absolutely. So, so that, that was, uh, that was, a, that was a, a, a huge curve. And I think it was fun to see, um, people, you know, adapt to that. And the, those, those who did, of course, those who played along, you know, I, I'd like to think they had a, they had a, I hope they had a great experience with, with the show. I mean, the show is, is run, edited, like you said, shot, produced, written classically like a, a television show um, but we just presented live and we and we are um, nimble to flow with the story uh, depending on where the audience takes us slipping onto the production track for for a second here and, and we'll, we'll come back to some of the narrative stuff because sure. I think there's 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 so much to sort of mine when talking about like the narrative structure but how do you put this piece together because you're, <laughs> you've got you've got a live feed going you've got mm -hmm. pre-edited bits you've got You've got interacting with the audience and, and, you know, the actors interacting directly with the audience at points. So yeah. what's, you know, how does the whole Wizard of Oz thing occur here? Ah, going behind the curtain. Yeah. Hope you, don't, hope you like what you see or hear. Uh, anyway, so let's, let's separate that out. Let's separate that out to get, kind of give it, uh, conceptualize that. So first off, as you said, and as I said, so the show is presented live. And during the, the, the show, we, we have live scenes and we have pre-edited scenes. So... Uh, and the reason we do that is because, uh, one, for story reasons, uh, you, you and I are having conversation now, but not all the drama is happening right here, right now. We're talking about things that have happened in the past. And so when characters are having arguments about things that have happened in the past, you want to contextualize them by showing them something that's happened in the past. So we show them. So those kind of we call the pre-recorded scenes, those are produced like, as I said, basically television shows. We, we, we write out arcs of the whole episodes. We write those scenes. We lock those scenes. We... We shoot those scenes with, you know, cameras. We're literally in the space that we shoot to make the show. And and then those go through post-processes, just like any other show. You know, we, we, we run them through the, our Adobe Suite products, uh, Photoshop, uh, Premiere, um, Audition for audio. I mean, After Effects, like, it's that part is actually pretty standardized. And, and the reason we do that, too, is, like, we think, why don't you do crazier things? It's like, no, 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 no. The live part's crazy enough. Like, let's <laughs> make this part very, very seamless and simple and efficient. And that's where that process needs to be streamlined and has to be, like, you know, really clean and so forth. So it's also because we turn the episodes out so fast. So we can't go through, like, a huge special uh, VFX process. Like, we just, we just don't have the time to do that or the resources. So that's one thing. So what we'll do is we'll arc out, say, in episode three. Okay, so we're going to about to air episode three. We've pre-shot these scenes that we know have happened in our timeline as a storytellers. This is what's happened for our characters. And the live scenes are scripted out as well. But during the live scripted scenes, those scenes are inherently just like they're, they're scripted, okay? But in the pages, there are like blank variables and general direction things. Like this is a part where where um, Bernie gets mad and looks at, and in, in, in his frustration, looks at the screen and calls an audience member out to support his argument. Something like that, okay? And so that's not 
those aren't lines. Those aren't, it's, it's kind of vague direction. And so what will happen during the day of, during the live, there's huge sections of that, the, the, the digital version of the script will be like filled out by us, the writers in the back. So that part is super chaotic because you have a lot of the script locked, 30 pages of it locked, okay? But within those 30 pages, there are huge blank areas that are unlocked, that are, that are not set, that are variables that aren't determined until they are determined. And not only that, you have the branching narrative because you have the poll system where the audience democratically you know, swings the plot one way or the other. And that one is where you know, the, audi- the, the actors have to, pr- have to know all the outcomes. They have to pr- perform all the outcomes. And they may not even know that they're performing the outcome until minutes, seconds before they have to do it. So that's a, that's a challenge. Does it make it does it make it really difficult to write ahead when you've got that sort of process to it? I mean, I think back to the classic comic book scenario where they had, you know, two issues of Batman ready to go, one where Robin was dead and one where Robin was alive. And so it's just like, all right, print the one with Robin oh, and, dead. Yeah. Um, but in this case, you know, you're going you're going week to week and adjusting as you go. Yeah. Um so we find that you know, you, you said is you asked the your question you asked was is it hard mm. to do it? The answer is yes, but you could do a version of this where it was more prescripted, more planned ahead. But the problem with that is that it's not as interactive. It doesn't feel alive as a show as artificial does. It doesn't feel like the magic trick that it is because you know it's prescripted and you know it's locked. So we were at least in season two, we were never more than two episodes ahead even in plot, okay? Mm. Like we had we had a general outline of the season, of where we wanted to go, but we also was so general about it that if something came up later, like let's say in episode three was airing again, and we wanted, we could pivot the show, you know, pivot the end of episode six and seven and eight to kind of go like, oh, we really like where three is taking us. Let's let's do more of that. And I can't think of a specific example of that, but I, just, I, I know that our ending, we had determined the options that are ending we determined pretty early of, of it was like whether or not she survives or not it's kind of like a classic way to end end the season episode and so we just like that's a good place to get to so let's get us there so let's get the plot there but let's have the waves of the audience be able to to to, to get us there so uh we were never more than an episode ahead or two so it's like uh, if you're watching episode three um i would be very confident to say we had not written a line for episode five <laughs> so maybe we had outlined it yeah. we may have outlined it but we had not written a line for it do you find then you're you're kind of working more from sort of a, a rooting things in the characters and what the characters are after and desired and how that interacts with what the audience is interested in then than going for like you know a, a a plot arcing here. Yeah, I think so. I, 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 our rule of thumb for our characters was that they're characters, they're people. So um, just because we're interactive doesn't mean that they were fully interactive for the audience could make them do whatever the audience wanted. Right. That's not how it works. It's just like you and I are essentially interactive and interacting with each other, but you have moral boundaries and ethic boundaries and I can't make you do certain things and you can't make me do certain things unless you tyrannically you know, threaten me with your life and everything. But like you get it. It's like yeah. no matter how much you say, hey, go jump off the cliff, I'm not going to jump off the cliff because those are my rules, <laughs> my yeah. personal character rules. So, so we have those for the characters. The characters do believe in certain things. They have certain values. And, but there are things where they go, one of the values that like Sophie, the main character has, and we've just instilled this into the premise, is that she values the opinion of the audience and, as her learning tool of humanity. 
because she she believes that the Twitch audience is a representation of humanity for her. That's her interactivity. So because of that, her going and giving the audience massively consequential powers <laughs> in her, some of her life choices makes sense for that character. Does it make sense for the other characters? Yeah. It, it, it varies because it all it all plays through the relationship with her. Well, even even plays on like small bits. I saw one bit where you know her her mother quotes on mother her her mother was upset that uh she was kind of being rude and mm-hmm. sophie was saying well you know i've been told to be direct direct and forthright yeah, yeah, with exactly. you so i'm going to do that and this is in line with what my directors were yes and and i found that really fascinating because it felt like a little microcosm of how we interact online in general mm-hmm. right and so there's the there's something interesting going on here in terms of this, the the themes you're running with, not just in the the science fiction conceit of like oh it's it's a it's a robot trying to become human right yeah. which is a classic for go back to Asimov right? every you know, robot is yeah. a robot becoming human yeah yeah it's it's Art Neil all the way down mm-hmm. um, but this reflection on the issues that that the the you know, adolescent and post-adolescent Twitch audience is is concerned with mm-hmm. and sort of the way they're sort of exploring a moral universe, particularly through through a dynamic that's, you know, a lot about questioning and about logic and about trying to like work through things yeah. in those ways. So what's the what's the question? I don't know there? if there's a question. That's sort of like an observation. Like, so, I guess so is I think, it, is, did you, I, think did I know you come, going. Yeah. Did you come in with that? idea or is that something you found as you as you built out um so the there's a I'll, I'll, let me let me kind of take a like a one level up on this yeah. the, the, the ten thousand look view foot view of the show okay like the theory like the hypothesis of the method of the show is really this kind of and i do think this is a very big reason why we won the emmy and the peabody too um is that uh we were we were hell-bent at making the audience consequential to the narrative and then to the, to the story and the characters. And that is something where you go like, well, you know, interactivity is consequential, right? Isn't it? Isn't it? But it's not really. So first off, if, if I offer you coffee or tea, that's not, that's consequential, but it's not really consequential. Yeah. Right. So a real consequential choice is I give you a handshake or I punch you in the face. Okay? <laughs> Those are, that's massively consequential. That completely changes our relationship. Yeah. yeah, you, know, yeah. you know, forever. It doesn't even matter how good I am to you. I'm still the guy who, who punched you in the face. So, so um, that's forever, right? And what I wanted to, to get in the show, and I, I, I'll admit, I didn't, we didn't have this when the show started. We were trying to figure out how to do this. And season two, we had it. Like, we had it on lock, and I, and I think if we were to do more of this or another show like this, we would have it you know, up in space. Like, we would exponentially grow this, okay? Um, but that's all about, it's about consequentiality, and that's what separates us from video games and, and um, you know, uh, branch narrative choose your own adventure stories. Okay, because uh, something like a, a say, you know, the classic one is Bandersnatch, right? Which yeah. is which is great and amazing, and and so glad that you know jumped in the space and kind of blew up blew up interactivity in a great way. But you have an experience, and I have experience, so we have two different experiences. So thus, our choices are technically one not that consequential because we can always just replay the other version. Right. It's not forever. And sure, the consequential can be to the plot of our version, which is fine. And so we have now it feels like a video game. I played it and I did this. Now you played it and you did that. Great. We compare. We talk about it. We say how fun it was. Ideally, how good experience it's all. That that's fine. It's not. There's nothing against those experiences. We're just trying to do something different, where we want to uh, the audience to feel the drama and the intensity with us. Where because we don't know what you yeah. what the audience is going to choose, 
the audience should feel that intensity when there's a massively consequential choice on the board. Well, and there's there's cost because like with Bandersnatch, you know, there is no real cost. There's just the potential. The other potential does not cease to exist. Mm-hmm. You can you know reboot the thing. I mean, yep, there's, there's some there's some things it does to try and like you know keep you, but you can always reboot and go back. Um, here, those scenes are never written. Those, those. Well, they're never performed. Yeah, they're, or, or yeah, they're, they're never, never performed. performed. Or, or, or I guess like. Well, they don't they, exist. Yeah, they, is really what it is. Yeah, they, they just don't, don't exist. exist. Yeah, like you know, and and the and the version of the show that would have been like you know three episodes after a yeah. choice, like it, it's it's it so doesn't exist. So, so let's go back to that that point you just you, you mentioned about the obedience. Okay, so mm-hmm. the audience had one picked that um, Sophie would Sophie's relationship with this Doctor Mayland character would be a mother relationship, a maternal relationship instead of say a scientific relationship. Hugely consequential. Basically saying Sophie gets a mother. Yeah. Audience, does Sophie get a mother? She gets a mother. Okay. So audience, she gets a mother. So then we stack on that. We now 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 they've we've, they've made that the audience has made that choice. We're now going to compound it because it's a mother daughter relationship. Now we have to give them the option of okay, what type of mother daughter relationship is this? Is this an obedient relationship or is it you know a a, a assertive relationship? Okay. Is she going to be obedient to her mother or is she going to be assertive and voice her opinions? Okay. Very much similar to any mother daughter relationship today. Could, you could see that by that that choice. I know there's complexities within that, but you know what I mean. Okay, so audience now chooses again. They choose assertive, right? Bam. Okay, so so she's always gonna be assertive to her mother, and that defines the entire relationship for the series. And that, those two choices happen in I think episode one of season two and then episode three of season two. So now the rest of the series is completely defined by these two audience choices that the audience made in one and in three. And that is the consequentiality of it because that second poll, number one, would never exist, wouldn't, would be a different poll had the audience ticked science, scientists at the beginning. And, you know, the scene where they're playing scientist and patient together in episode one, had they picked scientist, never got performed. It doesn't exist. It never happened. Just like the version of it, you know, you're drinking a bottle, you're drinking some water now, the version of this where I hypothetically, you know, gave you some poison or something. <laughs> like, it didn't happen because it just never existed. And that, thus, by, by, by the construct, gives the, the audience that feeling of consequence and purpose in the story. So when, they have, when they're watching the show, you don't have to be involved. You don't have to interact. You don't have to, like, you know, do all this stuff and, and chat. But if you do, you can impact the story, not just immediately, but season, the entire season, episodes down the line. And I think that's incredible power, and I love it. <laughs> How is the audience reacting to that power? Like, do do you see the audience? Do you, are there like members of the audience who like spend their time in the chats, or like bringing newbies up to speed? And yeah. like, yes. you know, what's how's how's the fandom of this all working out? So I, I think I think the fascinating thing that you're look that that's would be most interesting to listeners to this is that you have the audience take responsibility. When bad things happen to the character, they can track it back to the choices they made, mm. and they go, "Oh my God, this is our fault!" Right? The biggest one, I would say, I think the most clear one in the in the season was that the audience, uh, the poll went up that should Sophie prioritize humanity or family first, and humanity won, which is something we actually we thought they would vote family because people are always very emotional to family, right? They're not, you're not. You're not living your life every day thinking about the greater good of humanity versus the greater good of your family. You, you prioritize your family, your family, my family. I would prioritize my family over the general greater good of society, okay? 
But because the audience chose humanity, she became so utilitarian and pragmatic to all her, all her answers from that point on and all her actions that conceivably she actually like, you know, commits a murder and stuff like that because it's better for humanity in, in, in those results because she concept, she rationalized that this, this was a better, for, you know, the, 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 the elimination of the person of this other character was better for humanity. And the audience then took responsibility for that. They're like, we did this. This is <laughs> our fault. And, and truthfully, yeah, it kind of was. If they picked family, something else would have happened. <laughs> you know? But, but I, I think about that from a storytelling perspective. Because I know you've been in this space, you know, obviously, because we've known each other yeah. for a while. It's like, it's, I think of it, and again, I'm so biased because I'm, I'm in this. I'm in this battlefield. But I'm just like, I go, this is next level. The idea that the audience can participate in, in this case, a sci-fi narrative franchise and impact the story help the characters or hurt the characters based on what they want to do, that feels like truly a next level in narrative and storytelling versus just being able to interact and explore and so forth. Well, definitely with you giving them consequential choices and with, I mean, the storylines, you know, some of them involve some moral dilemmas, mm -hmm. you know, um, and, and being willing to like toss that in there and not just make it pure soap opera. Yes. So, I mean, was that, was that a desire that you had from the start or again, was that something that you saw the audience was really craving something that had meat on its bones? Um, I don't think they knew. I mean, I, I think they craved it just based on analysis. I think they craved it when you, when they, they knew what they liked when they gave, we gave it to them, but it mm -hmm. wasn't one of those things where you're like, I'm looking at a menu and I want you know, steak today. Cause I'm craving steak. And <laughs> it's like, it's just like, I present well, you're vegan. You, so I don't, I'm, yeah, yeah exactly. so why would you be craving steak? <laughs> like I, I, I present to you a <laughs> impossible burger. It's like, I didn't know I wanted this, but now that you've given it to me, I love it. So like, that's, that's kind of what we, what we did. And it's, it kind of goes back to that ethos of like the audience, you know, Lizzie Van Dyers, you know, you, you know, that work. It's like the audience wasn't craving Lizzie Van Dyers until they, they, they saw it and they loved it. And they were like, we love this. Let's get more of it. So it wasn't necessarily an audience demand thing. It was more kind of like a, that classic example. You don't, they don't know until they see it. And um, it doesn't mean, you know, everything is, is something they crave. It's just one of those things where that's what we do, I think, in inter innovation and interactive storytelling. That's the, the kind of the ethos. It's like we believe in what we're doing and hopefully we're right <laughs> when we do it. <laughs> You've had a lot of success with these projects. You've won Emmys plural mm -hmm. from these projects aside from that what is the, what what are the intrinsic qualities of this that keep you working in this form as opposed to you know running off and just making you know a, a non-interactive show and, and and putting all your efforts into something like that uh, i mean I, I think all my life i've always been kind of the the, the, the path less taken type of person like uh, just tracking my, my like what my ethos of just like the way i, I like made decisions as a kid. I would always just do like, oh, everybody else is doing that. I'm going to do the other thing. So that it kind of stems from that. But today, I, I mean, the, the, the maturity of this is coming down to like, I'd rather do something that no one's ever done before or push what can be done in narrative um, than do what everybody else is doing. Like, um, sure, if you said, hey, here's, you know, uh, all the resources go do make this movie 
and it's not interactive, it's just a feature and whatever indie film, I'd probably go, yeah, let's have that discussion and see what, you know, make sure that's, that's good for both of us. Right. But I'm not trying to chase that down. I'm not running, running around town trying to pitch movie ideas or trying to become like a film director or a TV director. That really isn't that inspiring to mm -hmm. me as an artist right now. Um, I think I'm good at it, <laughs> but uh, uh, so if you need someone to come in and you know knock something out for you, I'm happy to do it. But uh, as a storyteller, I, I think I love the challenge of that. I love the the pushing the envelope, and you know, I mean, the glory of the Emmys is really really awesome. Not gonna lie, <laughs> um, super proud of, of 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 that that we that I have the, the first YouTube primetime Emmy and I have the first Twitch primetime Emmy. Um, and I've done that in like a, whatever, a seven year span. So, uh, pretty cool. So that's just the way I, I, you know, you, you met me in 2012 or something yeah, like that, right? I'm trying to remember it was 12 or 13. 12 or 13. Yeah. And, and look, how many of us are still in it? All right. And how many of us are successful at it? Yeah. It's, so it takes, it's, oh, I'll tell you one thing. I'll give you a spoiler. It's not because of the money. <laughs> All right, I'll tell you that. <laughs> You're not in interactive, at least what this part of interactive, for yeah. the money. You're in it for something else. And what that else is, that's different. That's, that's, a, that's a certain mindset. That's a certain, like, I want to be the disruptor. I want to trailblaze. I want to be the one, the first one through the wall. And if I get bloodied, that's the choice I make. That's, the con yeah. that's my consequence yeah. to that choice. Well, there's something, there's something about just this idea of, I mean, I don't know, like to go sci-fi a bit, like it, th this you know, group mind effect or what happens when you radically release the powers of democracy on something like a narrative, you know, what happens when you start trying to not just respond to a market demand, but seed some agency over to the audience and see where it can take you as a creator, mm -hmm. right? Like what, what pathways it unlocks to you. I mean, do, do you find yourself interested in different kinds of stories because of um, the stories you've been telling? Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm a type of, I'm a type of artist, creator, storyteller. That's very collaborative. Not, not just saying collaborative with my team, but collaborative with the audience. So, um, I'm not the type that say, from my understanding, would say the way Stephen King does it, where he just goes, "Okay, I'm going to go to my cabin in upstate New York and write for six months uh, by by a lake, and then turn out a thousand page manuscript, and it's going to be amazing." I'm like, "Wow, good for you, man! It's not the way I work. <laughs> like, I can't do that. Um, I'm a collaborative person. I need people to talk to. You know, my team upstairs, that literally upstairs now." Um, maybe not maybe they're wrapping up. I don't know, but 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 I I'm, I'm a team based person, and so even something like Elizabeth Diaries, which was yes interactive, but it was not consequential. Um, it, I was listening to the pulse of the audience to see where kind of things they wanted or didn't want us to do, and you know sometimes I would I, there are a couple of examples of especially from from those shows where I literally took a fan theory from them, saying oh wouldn't it be cool if they did this, and like that's a really good idea. You know, let's just let's just do that. That's a really good idea. Let's just go for it. And I actually told that fan, I've I've given her that credit. It's like you, I did this because you posted this whatever Tumblr post. You know, as an example. So that's that that is already in the way I work. So for me, doing something like an artificial where you go like, oh my god, it's so chaotic. Like, why would you do this? Why would you not arc <laughs> out your episodes? Why? Like, it it drives these traditional storytellers that I talk with. They're like, it, it makes them nervous. It makes them like sweat in conversations I have with them. 
even though they're not on the show, right? And it's like, <laughs> why would you do that? And I, was, I go like, well, why wouldn't you optimize for the audience? It's, it's a totally kind of different ethos of thinking. So um, this is the best way I can explain it because I'm not sure how many of your listeners kind of think as storytellers or they think as technologists. Okay. I mean, I'm more think of storytellers okay. than technologists. So sure. So let me present this point of view. So storytellers, the classic thing we were taught with stories is that the storyteller or tellers kind of fixate on the story it's my, it's my or our story. Get out of my way, our way. We're going to tell it, and you're going to like it, or you won't. There's no kind of conversation between the, the product, uh, the creators of the product, and the consumer of the product, the storytellers and the story consumers. Okay? That is not the case in every other industry in the world today. It's the opposite case, because in fashion, it's in cars, in food, feedback needs to come in as fast as possible, and the, the product can then optimize against the feedback. If you make a bad burger at a restaurant and people don't like it, you're not going to keep serving the bad burger or your, comp, your, your place is going to fail. You're going to optimize, fix the burger, or make the burger better, okay? or make it cheaper, or make it whatever. That's what it is in fast fashion. That's what it is in cars. That's what it is in food, whatever in the industries. Um, I, you know, they're, they're looking, they're taking the feedback from the consumer and building it back into the product as fast as possible. As fast, and the faster you do that, the more optimized you are. As 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 a, as a developer, in content, it's not that case. Game of Thrones, uh, most infamously, released <laughs> season eight. Yeah, right. And no one liked. Well, a lot of people didn't like it out, out of the gate. You know, episode one, episode two, backlash. It sucks. It sucks. And what did they do? Nothing. They had locked that content two years before. Yeah. And they had to just release it. Yeah. They just had to take it, take that that drumming all the way to the end of the season. You know, and, they and all the way, all the way to like this week, where you know, I don't know, they they've chose they chose Netflix over Star Wars, yeah, and, yeah. And, and a lot of people are rejoicing, <laughs> and, right? And, but but see, like like the content is locked, yeah, and it just seems so archaic. I mean, yes, you know, it, the show is successful, and movies are successful, and you know, God bless, you know, like the, the studios and in their success. Because and we're not quite at real time effects yet. We're getting there, we're but not, we're yeah, not we're, there. Yet. We're not there yet. But I I, I just go well. If my goal is not to make the biggest special effects movie, mm-hmm. my goal is to make the most biggest interactive piece. It's not about the timeline and the like, the massive resources to put in front of the screen so to do crazy computer effects or something like that. It's about the speed of building the audience back into the content, and what that means can be in a lot of different things. Being it's on platform, device, you know, distribution pieces, and so forth like that. But that's what that all means. And so from that perspective, that's where a, someone like me as a storyteller is so different than a screenwriter, a film director, or a classic producer. They don't think that way. They think of, we're going to get this all shot in the can, lock it, and then we're going to release it. And our only way to optimize and pivot is based on interseason feedback. Season one airs, okay, we like, the audience likes it, all right. Let's do season two and let's optimize there. So there is some optimization, yes, yeah. yes, but you can't you can't do it on the fly. And so if you get something like again, infamous backlash like Game of Thrones season eight, you just they just had to take it. They just had to like <laughs> you just keep releasing it, and you know they're like, yeah, we're we're just gonna keep releasing it, even though you guys like a huge fan of group of you hate this, <laughs> think it sucks. We can't change anything. We can't pivot anything. We can't. I don't know. <laughs> like, yeah. It just well, felt very strange to me. And and even like you know, all they can do is sort of dig in their heels and 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 say, well, this is what we made, and and just sort of watch the actors go through the uncomfortable 
uh, art of of you know dodging dodging questions and did you like the finale did you like where your characters uh, ended they're geniuses I mean, that, that, that peter dinklage bit is like amazing or like you know and suddenly yeah call colin hill right yeah. she's like like did you like it they're just like yeah you know, they're, or they're laughing hysterically when they're asked the question and you're like oh something's up something's really up um and yeah i mean on one level you know well this is the thing like one I don't think the existence of one means the other goes away, right? Like, I, I agree. Um, and two, I've always thought of this, even back back in those transmedia days, um, of like this whole idea of us getting input from the audience actually takes us back to kind of the most er form of storytelling, which is a parent telling a story to their kid. And the kid being like, okay, well, but like, what, but what's at the campfire? Okay, but why a dragon? Right. And, and making the storyteller keep building that world based mm-hmm. on what, what the kid wants. So, like, like, even though the industry doesn't support that, like, the, the human instinct behind storytelling is almost founded on that idea. I 100% agree. And I, and I think those of us who are in this space of interactive and, and innovation um, can embrace that. Like I think the, the the devices in front of us, these touchscreen devices and and everything allows and live streaming and <laughs> all these platforms almost allows us to do that. It allows us to be the campfire storyteller where we can just stack as we go. Something I, I mean I've wanted to experiment with. I haven't done anything specifically that like that yet. And and I and I want it to be consequential. So so people go like, for example, as a popular comparison of artificial to another format is they think, oh, it's like improv. So the actor's just improving. And I go, actually, no. It's actually, a, it's it's not a, it's an okay comparison, but it's so different. Number one, the actors aren't improving. We're the ones feeding all the, the writers are the ones feeding all the, all the lines to them. They're not improving anything. They may ad-lib a little bit just to kind of correct things, but there's so little, everything they're saying is on a script somewhere. Physical, virtual, audio, <laughs> something. <laughs> okay. It's somewhere else. They just have to deliver their lines. Um, second thing they go, oh, are you, are you, is it just like, uh, just an improv show where the audience just like shout stuff out and say, like, yes, but no, because an improv show resets an improv show resets every, every episode, every week, every performance, you know, the name of fruit becomes blueberry once and becomes raspberries. The next time becomes strawberries the next time after that. And you'll have the strawberry show, the raspberry show and the blueberry show. We, as I said, are consequential. It's always going to be blueberries. It always was blueberries. Last week was blueberries. It's still blueberries, and we have to stack on to that forever. So that's the way we we've designed artificial. And I think because we haven't seen this, we haven't seen this applied totally applicable. By the way, to something like a daily soap opera, you know, you could do that where the audience actually makes all these choices, and you're just stacking on the choices of all the drama. It's like, well, the audience wanted you to go out with that, get wanted the doctor to go out with the uh, the yoga teacher instead of the the chemistry engineer. Right, that'd be a whole different story. But like, you know what I mean? And it's like, all right, well, the audience picked yoga teacher. Sorry, you know, STEM fans, you guys picked yoga teacher instead of <laughs> chemical chemistry engineer. You wanted to see this this guy get with this get with the presumably way smarter engineer chick. You could have gone that twist, but now that's on you. So I'm I'm suddenly I'm suddenly seeing like a resurgence of soap operas because of this, like, like. Like a, just a wave of Twitch-enabled soap operas. Uh, hey, um, yeah. if 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 any of you listeners want to play in this field, I'm I'm down. Like this is something where I have very publicly said in many of my talks and panels and keynotes that the two areas that 
artificial methods revolutionizes tomorrow is a uh, multi-cam sitcom because it's already basically live and soap operas, which would be high stakes drama all the, all the time. And it would make it truly adventized. Yeah. Because if you're not there, you don't get to pick where your favorite characters that you've latched onto. Yeah. Like who they oh, know. God forbid you miss, <laughs> God forbid you miss an episode. Right? Yeah. God yeah. forbid. God yeah. forbid. And oh so a, another example I use classically going back to the game of Thrones, right? Is that, you know, imagine if they made that last, last moment with John and Daenerys, it made that a vote of like what happened there. One kills the other or none of them kill each other. Right. You know, three, so three choices. Okay. So whatever happened, and and you have the backlash of the of the people. You'd have war in the streets. <laughs> You'd have people at bars killing each other for those choices. But the, you know, with the with the beautiful things is from the creator's perspective. You go, you not, guys, our not our fault. fault. <laughs> you guys, you hear that, that boys? For your next show, you're working with Netflix. They've got the Bandersnatch code. <laughs> like, not gonna be your fault. Not gonna be your fault. <laughs> not gonna be your fault, brothers. <laughs> so so that that's that's the thing I, I put out. So. Like for, artif- for artificial, because the irony was like you know, Lizzie May Diaries. Yes, I will take responsibility for you know uh, those of you who those of the audience that didn't like the results of the show or something like that or some things we did. Yeah, happily take responsibility. I'm the showrunner of the show. I'll take responsibility. Maybe we should have. Maybe we shouldn't have made the best choices at the time when we made them. Blah blah. blah. But I'll take responsibility for that. All right. But for artificial, I take so much less responsibility for the results of the show because the audience made all these huge choices. And I'm like, I watched them do it. I watched them debate over it and like, you know, in the chat and yell at each other and like swing votes either way. And I was like, all right, you guys wanted to go this way. I personally probably would have gone this way, but you guys did. And I'm with you. I am the conduit. <laughs> one, one more thing I want to ask before, before the sun fully sets here and we, we wrap up. Sure. Well, um, it, which probably isn't as interesting where we just were, but did did you seek out Twitch or did Twitch seek out you? Like, how'd you land? How'd you land there? Um, so I uh, started meeting other platforms. So like for um, when you're going into interactivity and and like um, I've worked with YouTube and YouTube has changed guards many times. So mm-hmm. I I don't I have no idea what it's like working with them now. I'm not saying it's good. I'm not saying it's bad. I just don't know. <laughs> okay. Um, but I had started to meet us different people at Twitch, different people at the high levels, um, C-level execs and so forth. And so they became familiar with my work and they're like, wait, you won the first two Primetime Emmys for YouTube? Why don't you work with us? And I'm like, sure, um, let's let's figure out a way to do that. And so then it becomes, the, the, the those of you who are just storytellers, you, you your knee jerk, and this is not the way to do it, is to go just pitch them a whole bunch of ideas. It's like, oh, I got this sci-fi idea and I got this comedy idea and I got this drama idea and everything like that. And it's like, no, 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 because you have to know the system. Twitch is owned by Amazon. Amazon has their own studio. So if you pitch a, a, a linear series to Twitch, they will go, sounds great, even if it's not, and say, go talk to Amazon. They'll just point you out the door and say, go, to, go talk over there. It will get you nowhere, right? Um, so with a Twitch, because it's never been done before, no one's ever done this with them. Um, it was, it was a longer conversation of just talking of like, what makes Twitch Twitch and what makes it not, what does Twitch do and what does Twitch not do? Classic example of this in our conversations where they go, well, Twitch is not Netflix. We literally Twitch meaning cannot do Bandersnatch. We couldn't do it because Bandersnatch is singular and Twitch is about, about, about community. 
So sure, you maybe help could do a communal voting Bandersnatch version on Twitch, which something has been discussed, but you couldn't do Bandersnatch as is. So that pitch would go nowhere there. So it went to the right place, of course. Um, so with Twitch, it became conversations of, again, what's the technology? Oh, there's chat. You have to use chat. Oh, live. How long should live episodes be? 30 minutes? No, an hour. An hour? Okay, let's try to get an hour, right? Um, what other tools do you have? Oh, you have a poll system. That's interesting. What does the poll system do? The poll system, can, can people manipulate the poll? Is it like, you know, blah, blah, blah. So uh, there's, uh, in, you know, a platform currency, the bits, there is subscribers, there is all these different layers of things that you could play, go into play. And so I like to say, um, I know this when we started in July 2018, when the show started, Artificial in that current iteration could not have been done on any other platform. It couldn't have been done on YouTube. It couldn't have been done on Facebook. It could only be done the way it was done on Twitch. Now a little different because YouTube has caught up with their uh, live streaming technology and their super chat system. Um, and Facebook is close. They don't have their currency yet, uh, but they, they almost do. But, but it's like now you maybe can do 95% of artificial on any other platforms. Before you could do like, you can you could just do the live part. You yeah. couldn't do the rest of it. Yeah, so only could do that on Twitch, but that's 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 how it came about. So I, I'm not I'm not trying to inspire or or detract from your listeners from trying to pitch to Twitch. I, I just think Twitch is a very unique platform, and don't expect that path to be like where you would pitch anything else. Yeah, it's just not. Well, just I mean, when I found out about the show, and I instantly started thinking it just it made sense because of things like Twitch plays Pokemon. Oh yeah, or totally, totally. how many people engage with things like critical role mm. and this this idea that like it just feels like there's been this this push towards inner like interactive narrative being a byproduct of where the twi the twitch community was going um it wasn't necessarily inevitable mm. uh but seeing that you were the one who went there didn't didn't surprise me either so. <laughs> <laughs> thanks man <laughs> thank you <laughs> i appreciate that yeah yeah, uh, I'm, I'm glad I, I'm glad I have, a, I have an expectation and a, repu and a reputation. <laughs> you do, Bernie. Uh, for those who haven't caught the show yet, uh, where do they go to check out? Um, so the best place I think is to go to the, the Twitch channel, which is Twitch.tv/artificialnext next and you look for the vods. You try to look for the bro the broadcast replay, so you can actually see the chat. That's the best, in my opinion, it's the best way. The VODs, when I say vods, um, are just like the, the episodes, kind of cut down a little bit. They, they're available on Twitch and also available on thing on YouTube as well, which no one apparently goes to to watch our show on, which is fine. Um, so that's the best place to check it out. You can also go to our website, artificialnextnext.com. Uh, we also had, and those of you who are love transmedia, we also had a companion in world podcast that ran with the show, um, which was super fun to do. We also did that live too. That was bonkers. But uh, <laughs> um, not the whole thing live, but we had live elements to it. And um, that's available um uh, the video versions are on online where I just said, but the audio versions are wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, that's, I think it's called, our the podcast is called Artificial Uncovered. Um, and it's an in-world story, narrative, fictional, but it, it sounds like a podcast. It like, sounds like you and I talking, but it's the characters and the show who are talking about the ramifications of this AI being running around and why they should, one thinks they should destroy it. And the other one thinks it's like the greatest thing for humanity. And so it's just, you know, <laughs> arguments in there so little, little, still got the transmedia going still got that <laughs> still doing it. <laughs> it it never went away it, it never was went just away. sleeping so. <laughs> <laughs> all right thanks bernie thank you
once again, I want to thank Bernie Sue, the showrunner, co-creator, and executive producer of Artificial, which won the Outstanding Innovation in Interactive Media Emmy, uh, which ran on Twitch. Uh, like Bernie said, you can find the series in its completion uh, at twitch.tv slash artificial next is the way to hunt it down. Um, that's pretty much it for the show this week. Uh, I said everything I needed to say about uh, the, the current funding situation at the top. Um, one thing I'm going to do right now, just kind of uh, talk about here, our summit in 2020 at the Pasadena Playhouse. Uh, going there that uh, 27th through the 29th. Programming is coming along nicely. We'll have some announcements to make uh uh, you look for them like right after Black Friday. Um, and then uh, tickets uh, going on sale not too long after that. Uh, we know we want to make it easy for everybody to make their plans. Uh, we're uh, a month later than the last uh, IDS was. Um, also keep your eyes open uh, because uh, there's going to be some satellite events that we're kicking off. Uh, Steve Boyle and I had a conversation about that this week. We've got some plans in the back pocket uh, because we know not everybody can make it out. Um, that's been the thing in the past couple of years. Um, although this year, um, let me just put it this way. Pasadena Playhouse has 600 plus seats in it. So we've got some plans to, to the folks who were upset that uh, that we weren't able to accommodate folks uh, for IDS. Uh, just so you know, there's more space available at this year's summit, uh, and we're trying to strike a balance between uh, the intimacy of IDS and um, expanding as we need to uh, in order to build a broader base for this wonderful movement that we're all a part of. So detailed plans coming out relatively soon. And before, um, before we make announcements, uh, we are in active sponsorship courting mode. So uh, if you've got a company that's interested in sponsoring IDS, uh, there are there's everything from uh, individual sponsorships, uh, which include tickets, uh, which start uh, start start down low, all the way up to uh, some marquee sponsorship uh, statuses, which have some big packages uh, which are designed to lay the foundation of what we're doing. Um, we're talking to some folks already. Uh, the deck is going around. If you are curious, if you're interested, uh, hit us up. Um, because we, one, we definitely need the support. Um, we, the things worked out so we can do the whole thing just on ticket sales alone if we need to, but, um, things get better. <laughs> the more resources we have to work with, uh, the more value we can provide to everybody. And uh, it's a wonderful community and a great way to, you know, get your name out there, among other things. So if you want to talk to us about that, hit me up, Noah at herefest, H-E-R-E-F-E-S-T dot com. That's the way to reach out about sponsorship. Um, and we'll send you that deck. Um, yeah, um, that's it. Um, this this is this is the life now. It's the twenty four hour arts hustle. We do need to get the backers up to three hundred. Um, the the, you know, the dream is just simple. We just want um, we just want a self sustaining vision of this so that um, we can just go full time. Uh, as the odds are, I'm probably going to be uh, and to put my nose down into some freelancing uh, in uh, by the end of this month and through December just to make sure things are going. Um, but 
you know, uh, we soldier on. Uh, and that rally this week, I just, you know, I, I don't expect us to be able to do something like that every week. Um, but, but, but maybe once a month and, and maybe some consistency. And honestly, um, you know, if we just were able to kind of just build, 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 um, I mean, you know, if we had weeks like that every week, uh, you know, we'd, we'd be doing awesome right now. Um, and I know that, um, I know that it's been like a weird year for everybody. Um, it's definitely been a weird year for me. These are things I'll go into maybe in an irregular soon enough. Um, okay. Uh, that's it. That's, that's all the news that fits to pr- fit to print right now. Uh, check out the picks of the week. Everything immersive this week comes out tomorrow. Um, there's a new ticket swap on EI. If you want to be swapping tickets, uh, we're going to start doing, uh, Monday, uh, uh, chat threads on EI. This a, a weekly chat thread just for random stuff, um, to put the community back into community. And, um, you know, if you're interested in us doing some AMAs over on the Slack again, uh, hit me up, hit me up, uh, on the Slack. Uh, if you want to join the Slack, just holler at us on Twitter or via Facebook and we'll tell you how to join the Slack. Uh, and if there's someone in particular, you'd love for us to do an AMA with, uh, holler at us there. So just finding new ways, finding new ways all the time, pulling some old tricks out of the, out of the, uh, the hat. I mean, so long as I, I get to be in this space full time, there are things we can do uh, and, you know, put me to work. Okay, put me to work for you. That's it. I'm going to ramble if I don't stop. Um, too late. Let's do the credits. The sustaining backers of No Persinium are Mark Baltazar, Jan Budman, Paul F., Lonnie Hansen, Ari Hurston, Sam Kinkin, and Samuel Mustry. The music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. You can find everything we do at nopersinium.com. You definitely want to check out our Instagram, no underscore persinium, where you will find uh, all the evidence of the 13 days of Halloween. Just an absolutely amazing program that Catherine put together uh, that takes us behind the scenes on so many projects in this spooky season and they're all saved on our profile they're there for all time uh you can also find us on uh, twitter and facebook at no persinium our facebook group is everything immersive which you can find via everythingimmersive.com um and yeah uh, if you want to send us information uh about your upcoming show hit us up at pitches at no persinium.com and of course to support what we do and we do need your support patreon.com slash no proscenium. All right, that's it. I'm your host, Noah Nelson, and until next time, I'll see you at the show. <laughs>